0: God podcast. My guest today is Dr. Joel Hunter, who until recently had served as senior pastor of the 20,000 member Northland, a church distributed just outside of Orlando for more than 30 years. Uh, he stepped down to do uh, a, a, what he said is a natural outgrowth of the ministry he was called to from the very beginning. We talked a good bit about that during our conversation here. He's a long-time activist, civil rights activist, uh, an advocate for disadvantaged populations to poor, racial reconciliation, um, folks with disabilities, and all sorts of other things. We, again, we'll get into that as part of our interview. And he also served as former spiritual advisor to President Barack Obama. And he says that that did not indicate he was partisan in politics in any way. He was just asked to do it and, and did it and provided weekly uh, devotionals and prayed with the president. He's also the author of A New Kind of Conservative, and he also holds the distinction of being uh, a pastor of an evangelical megachurch who receives high praise and accolades from those in the community and state around him that are of other faith traditions, and that's one of the reasons I was really interested in talking to him today, and I really enjoyed this conversation. When was the first time you were aware that there was a spiritual realm, but there was something more to the world than just what you could feel and touch?
1: Well, my grandmother always took me to church, uh, but I had an experience when I was a little boy, um, where I was out in my backyard all alone, and uh, and I just used to uh, and still do talk out loud to God. And so I just was laying down. And it was totally a calm day, totally no wind at all. And so I lay down in the grass and uh, looked up, and I said, "Hey, God," I said, "If you're up there." Give me some sort of sign or let me know. Instantaneously, I looked at the silver maple in our yard, and this mighty wind came through and turned every leaf from green to silver, lasted for about five seconds, stopped, and the wind didn't blow the rest of the afternoon. And so from that time on, there was absolutely no doubt. I mean, you know, this is the faith of a little child. Yeah, how old were you? And so— I I probably was about maybe six six years old, um, and um, and so it just was, I w- and it wasn't any more than that. I was just going okay, well, good enough. Now I know you're there, and so that was all there was to it that day. Because a friend came out and we started climbing trees and all that kind of stuff. So so basically that was a that was my premier uh, introduction. To the assurance that uh, that God was there for me. Uh, that's that's how I dealt with it.
0: And your family, I know. I know in some of the uh, the things I watched and listened to, uh, it was important in your early faith journey too. I, I know one thing you were thanking your mother for encouraging you to to love people who are different and to reach out and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's where I got my my real fascination for differences because I grew up in this small midwestern town, totally white. Um I mean the only differences there were if you were if you were you were either a Protestant or a Catholic, but you were not brown, you were not from another country and and you were not of another religion and so um but my mother had this this fascination in a good way with differences and her favorite um uh, musicians were african american uh fascinated with other cultures i i have no idea where she even got it but i picked that up um and even though i didn't really have uh any kind of relationships with anything other than white folks till i virtually went to college uh and then of course i immediately got involved in the civil rights movement when i did but uh but yeah it was it was my mother who really taught me that differences are a good thing uh, and that they're interesting and that they're educational uh, and that people having a different perspective or a different life experience really are valuable to you.
0: So that's something you've carried for a long time then.
1: It was always, it it was with me as long as I could remember um, when when I went into the ministry, it was out of the Civil Rights Movement, um, and so I always had a heart for those who weren't included, uh, who were marginalized and vulnerable. Um, that kind of characterized uh, my, a lot of my ministries uh, inside the church for 47 years as a pastor. Um, but yeah, it's it's been one of my mainstays in ministry.
0: What about some things that maybe have not been? What are some things you've changed your mind about since you got started in ministry over the years?
1: Well, that's a really good question um, probably the major one um for me um is i i th- i thought that the that the western version of the local church um was kind of the answer to all the world's problems um i you know I, I was operating in that world, and i think Believe me, the local church and the Western version has done so much good, and and it's blessed so many people um, with various kinds of programming and specialty ministries and and assemblies of of people who just you know you reach a critical mass and and you, you go to a whole another level of religious experience. Um, but uh, I also, over the years, have had this kind of skepticism uh i I grew up in the sixties and we were anti establishment that I never got rid of that <laughs> and um and so as I experienced more of the church uh both um in um, in in africa and, and and China and other cultures, more of the church in the smaller micro forms in in our country that that didn't have a staff uh that didn't have a you know, programming. They were just Christians trying to walk along and live life together and be like Jesus. Um, I really began to understand some of the some of the limitations of the local church experience, um, and I kind of yearned to be able to uh, have an experience uh, of the church outside what was traditional institutional religion.
0: Yeah, and, you know Tony Campolo once was sort of making a a, a snarky comment about that. He, he was speaking to a large group of evangelicals, and he said, "The Western Church is so organized, you don't need the Holy Spirit."
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tony's a friend of mine, so I can I can just hear him saying that. <laughs> exactly. uh, and 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 it is, it's it's true. If you're if you're organized, especially there's a there, there's kind of a spirit of control um, in many um, many churches, not. Being mean, but just trying to trying to keep things organized and you know, guarding against heresy. Or, but what what happens is that you develop this kind of quenching of not just the spirit, but the entrepreneurial ministry that you could have if you just imagined ministry outside of a religious setting. So, yeah, it's it's definitely a, it's definitely something that we need to we need to work on.
0: Well some of that though has even taken a strange side road in that a lot of the big churches and I've been involved in a number of them um have sort of taken the Peter Drucker books and put Bible verses with them and become management leadership oriented rather <laughs> you know what I'm saying they've taken another I, I know, another I, I, western I, I, side road that's not even what we're talking about
1: exactly right i the the organizational we don't even realize we're doing this, but we um have organized the church either out of the corporate model or out of the military model, um, because it's what's most familiar, at least in this era, of um, of organization. Um, and really, uh, you know, I wrote a book, uh, the Church Distributed book, where we tried to organize out of the nature of God, because the Church should be in the image of how God's nature expresses itself, rather than um, some... Uh, artificial um, ecclesiology or artificial tr- structure um, uh, of of what we're used to operating in in the U.S. especially.
0: I want to get back to that in a minute, but I do want to know a little bit more about Lakeland. What what led you to start that church? Sounds like we're talking about that already back in '82. And how has your understanding, again, these are some things we're already talking about, of church uh, changed as your congregation grew from eleven to twenty thousand?
1: Yeah. Well, it's Northland, and... and, and yeah, Northland, I'm and, sorry. I yeah, that's all right. No, I, I that's, had it written that's down fine. wrong and read it wrong. Was... <laughs> that's all right. Um, when I came to Northland in 1985, uh, it had been a church in existence for um, 13 years, and they had undergone a, a pretty significant church split. Um, because the pastor, wonderful man, but he had a shepherd's heart, and... He really wanted to know all of his people and wanted to know all of his sheep by name. And, and you can't grow, uh, you know, extremely big And for that to happen. And so um, he had taken part of the congregation to, to remain a small congregation, and the people who were left over was like, man, uh, this really hurts. And they were walking wounded. But they were people who believed, look, it's not up to us to decide the size of the church. That's up to God. Our job is to love everybody who walks through the doors, and so that's who I came to. And I came as a—I I was a United Methodist pastor for 15 years. Um, at, at age 37, um, I was the senior pastor of the second-largest um, United Methodist church in attendance um, in the state of Indiana. So I had—I had I'd, I'd gone up the the realm pretty fast in the organized church. But then my old anti-establishment stuff began to kick in and I'm thinking this is this is I'm in danger here because I could get just sold out to an organization and and to all of the perks and all of the you know accolades and all that kind of stuff. And so there was a part of me that said I need to start over. I need to start simple. And I got in contact with this congregation. There's a whole miraculous story that we won't go into there. But um but I came down, and I saw these people, and they were so serious about following Jesus, um, so hurting, but but I, I wanted to be um, um, in this group that were starting over, um, that didn't care how big they got. They just care how well they loved. And so that's where we started. And for the first three years, we didn't grow a bit, uh, because after you've been traumatized. It takes quite a while to just build back trust. And so that's what we did for three years. We learned to trust one another. Um, and then how I got you kind do of that?
0: How, do you, how do you learn to trust people? like that? Well, you
1: it. don't. You listen. I mean, it's, it's really simple. You listen. And when you listen long enough, you know how to love. And you know how to love accurately. Not your ideal of love, but but you listen long enough to know what they're really needing and then you can determine you know whether or not you can supply that or walk with them uh, while they're trying to find it or whatever so it's just a matter of patience and attention and that's how you restore trust uh, they've got to know you're more for them than trying to sell them something or trying to get them to be somebody they're not and so that's what that's what we did for three years um, and then I got I went on a way on a retreat I, I said to my elder i said you know i feel like god has something for us but i i keep putting him on call back then it was call waiting oh yeah uh, because every time i, I get an idea of what it is it's the the next emergency comes up and so my elders literally looked at me and said look go away and don't come back until you figure out what he's trying to say to you And uh, and there was no time limit. There was no. So I said, okay. So I literally went and sat on a mountain in Colorado. I I literally did. And uh, and during that time, uh, you know, as I said, when I get alone with God, I talk out loud to Him and I ask a lot of questions. And and so I ask Him. You know, I was pretty frustrated with the church at that point. And I said, Lord, I've been doing this for a while now, and. There are people who have been Christians for so long, and they're still totally immature. How can you be a Christian that long and be so immature? And this is, this is the answer I felt like I heard. You train them to be that way. And I was insulted. Uh, and, I, and so I, I, I said out loud, I said, what do you mean? He said, think about this for a minute. He said, every weekend you get up and you teach them three new spiritual principles from the Bible. Um, and then the next weekend, you give them another three new, new spiritual principles. In other words, what you just said to them is, you don't need to remember these last ones because I've got three new ones for you. Who can live by 150 new spiritual <laughs> principles every year? He said, stay on one subject long enough that they can actually live it. So I came back, and I said this to my elders. I said, I really believe that God wants us to stay on one topic that's been, that's been woven through the theme of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation for at least an entire year. And my elder said, well, sounds kind of boring, you know, so it'll be repetitive, but okay, we'll give it a shot. Well, during that time, we went from 400 during that decade. We did, we did it for 10 years. During that decade, we went from 400 to 6,000 in worship. And it happened for a very simple reason. We weren't trying to grow. We've never been a church growth uh, um, um, congregation. But people not only learned what Scripture was saying, but they had time to apply it to their lives. And other people were seeing a difference in their lives, and they wove it into their characters, and that makes the church grow. So that's how we, that's how we began this unbelievable growth um, that we had.
0: Well, I'm glad you said that because, you know, one of the things I've witnessed um, and, you know, several of the things you said, we both kind of came out of the Civil Rights Movement and these other things. Um, y- you know, I-, I went the other route early when I got out of seminary and would go and, and try to straighten the churches out and get fired. rather than. <laughs> 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 they thought they wanted yep. somebody out of the Jesus Movement who was a firebrand and it turned out they really didn't. <laughs> the yeah, time. exactly. But, you know, people can they can only love to the degree they've been loved and yeah, um correct and like you were saying earlier that takes so much time that it 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 kind of um it runs counter to what people have been taught in seminary and church yeah. growth seminars and books and conferences yeah. and uh, it also what you just said whether it was intentional or not the evangel the evangelical sort of uh circuit riding preacher uh, evangelist model had been adopted and has been adopted in many of the churches that it it uh, it elevates evangelism and novelty over everything else.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right, Greg. So you can start that's counting exactly how many
0: right. people we got in the door. Nobody wants to talk about the back door because that's a dirty word. Yeah. But uh, you can and you can, you keep feeding the evangelism thing until at some point, if you look at I mean all the churches in this, this country that are of a you know twenty thousand, roughly twenty five. Almost every single one of them hit that plateau. And if they had been at the idol of numbers, at some point you're going to get so frustrated you don't know what to tell people anymore because you've been telling them we're going to keep increasing that in number. Yep. And even the flat screens can't really get above about that 25 and sustain it.
1: You betcha. You betcha. That's what's, you know, evangelism without resulting in relationships has a very short shelf life, very brief shelf life and And that's what most churches are, are and even this even our church um, 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 is experiencing most large churches are experiencing this this now eighty percent of the churches in the u s um, are, are flatlined or declining okay. um, and that's especially true with large churches because we don't um, we don't develop the relationships need that, that are needed to stay connected, and pretty soon you you find yourself. Going to a place that's not energizing—it's just demanding, um, and it doesn't get you closer to God. It just gets you involved with more activity. So that that will not—that uh, doesn't doesn't uh, lead to a great future.
0: And hype becomes a, such a big part of it. I know I well, work with uh, a lot of addicts and alcoholics that will go through what you were just talking about. Uh, you you need to join our church and you need to, to to do service and you need to get baptized and you need to tithe and you need to do all these things. And I'll have people come to me and say, I'm doing all those things and I'm just as miserable as I was before.
1: Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: And uh, it, uh, it, one of the things you talked about on your church website video is about teamwork. Is that being a big part of something since you played football and those yep. kind of things. Um, yeah, you, I hear a lot about teamwork, but I've got to be honest with you, I don't witness it a lot. I hear teamwork for everybody who's foot soldiers, but those of us at the top are not really going to be part of that because we're
1: inaccessible. And, <laughs> but you seem uh, to be
0: smoking what you're selling. Why is that? Well,
1: <laughs> you have uh, you have some keen insight, Greg. You're exactly right. Um, I, I my my old football days, uh, you know, I, I knew what it was to uh, uh, to not. Um, uh, be a star uh, and and to have no real stars on the team, but if we worked together, um, we could go undefeated, which is exactly what we did. Uh, we were small and we were slow and we were uncoordinated, but boy, did we work together and uh, and so i I think the same thing is true at the church um, and i've never been I recognize my own shortcomings, but i don't try to I don't try to cover up. Uh, for, i and i don't spend a lot of time to, trying to improve them uh, i i spend a lot of time building partnerships that will complement them that will um, 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 compensate for them um, and so i'm i'm 'm a visionary i i live twenty years in the future and come back every once in a while for a visit um, that that doesn't develop people very well um, and that's that gets to be insensitive and and so i've you know my closest partnership for the last 20 years uh has been with uh one guy who's who's my best friend who has the interpersonal antennae of the holy spirit i mean he i'll i'll pass somebody in the hallway and say how do you do and go to my office and he'll come in you know five minutes later said have, have you talked to a so-and-so and i said well yeah i just saw him in the hall and he'll say they are they're having a rough day why don't you just poke your head in there and and tell them that you're with them. And I said, well, just someone in the hallway. They look fine to me. And he said, well, just give it a shot. And so I'll go down. And sure enough, they're they're going through a horrible time. I never noticed. But here's a guy who can help me notice and and care. Um, and and another guy who's been a very close friend is like an organizational genius. I I can't put together a, 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 a three piece puzzle. And uh, but this guy sees how everything can be arranged to work properly, and so man, I just I leaned into this guy, um, and so so it's that kind of thing that um, that is the reason for the variety of spiritual gifts and the way we need each other. And I've I've always known that, and that's why we've been able to to last as long as we have.
0: But I know you've witnessed this. That seems to be threatening to a lot of leaders. Um, even, even to, you know, one of the great stories I always read, uh, T.W. Wilson, with, with, who was with the Billy Grant administration, he was their sort of BS meter. They didn't call him that, obviously. But he was. <laughs> it was even quoted in other business books coming the other way that he could override board decisions or anything else if it just didn't smell right to him. <laughs> And Billy Graham has said once in an interview that he went against T.W. on the whole going into the back room with Nixon and helping choose a vice president was the biggest mistake he ever made. Most leaders don't seem to have the maturity level or the confidence to allow other people to have the kind of things you're talking about, to be able to say, hey, you know, this is my gift. I know your gift is this, but let's 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 put those pieces of this puzzle together. So we have a a big picture rather than a picture of you and
1: everything else. (laughs) <laughs> exactly right, well, there has it's a balance here you You do have to have a leader who is willing to be the one where the buck stops. I mean, there are decisions that you've got to be able to call it out and say, Guys, somebody has to we can't do this by consensus. somebody's going to have to make a decision. This is the direction we're going. Uh, but there are very few of those that really need to be made uh or or very seldom um the other side of that is that you've got to be a person who is secure enough i you see i i, I used to be mentored I, i've always um chosen a mentor that was a generation ahead of me mm-hmm. it's almost impossible these days cuz they're all dead now but <laughs> yeah, me, but, but, but. Uh, but 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 when i was a young pastor <clears throat> I, I, w- I was brought into the i was under the wing of the of the uh and the pastor of the largest united methodist church north of the Mason Dixon line and I'd meet with him like once a month and and um and take him questions I I didn't want to waste his time and so one day I I said uh, his name was Carver McGriff and I said Carver I said I don't get it I I've, I've been visiting a lot of churches cuz I I like to hear other people preach and and I said these these guys are good preachers mostly back then it was men these guys are good preachers, and they got wonderful congregations, and they can't get beyond, you know, 200 people, you know? And, and they want to grow, and they say, they say they want to be friendly and welcome people in, but they can't get beyond 200 people. Why is that? I don't get it. And he just smiled, and he said, he said, it's very, that's a very simple answer. He said, as a rule, pastor, pastors are very insecure, And they don't ever want to be asked by their congregation a question that they don't know the answer to. And so, therefore, a pastor won't let people make decisions, uh, won't let any decisions be made in his congregation that he's not aware of. Now, he said, "I I I want you to just think for a moment. How quickly do you reach a cap on the things that you can be aware of? because that's how many people you'll have in your church. And I thought, man, there's there's some gold right there. So I determined from then on not only not to need to know everything that was going on, but not to want to know everything that was going on, um, and to and to look to people who knew way more than I did about any specific area, and just to trust them.
0: Well, you know, as, as a journalist of many decades, one of the things I've tried to train people to do is the, the power of, and uh, credibility that's established quickly when somebody says, I don't know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you yeah. begin to trust right. that
0: person immediately when they say, <laughs> exactly. you know, yeah. obviously, as a journalist, I want them to say, I don't know, but I'll try to find out for you. But, you know, but mm-hmm. just being honest, and it, it, it's a rare commodity anywhere, not just in the church.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, it, it Explain, you mentioned this earlier. Explain again to me a church distributed. I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around that.
1: Well, it's a fairly. Uh, Simple concept, when you look at how nature is constructed, nature is constructed in ecosystems. Um, um, when you look at how, and, and, and really, um, systems, computer systems are, are constructed uh, out, of that, um, out of that same kind of mentality. You remember the old, you and I were both old enough to remember when computers um, had all of their capacity in a mainframe. Mm-hmm. And these mainframes were sometimes as big as a room, you know but 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 thats that was all its capacity and and so in order to get the 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 answers that you needed or the information, you had to go into that mainframe as cu- computers developed um, they developed into networks that is, not all the capacity was in one computer, all capacities were in the network of the different. Uh, computers that were that were that were tied together that's where the capacity was the church is like that the the original church wasn't you know there, there was a there was a jerusalem church that kind of said hey if you get in trouble we'll be the supreme court or whatever but the original church was just a a network of churches tied together that shared both leadership and resources um and 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 they didn't claim to be the whole church, and there wasn't you know first church at the at the corner of maine and sycamore um when Paul wrote letters, he wrote them to the churches of um and to the different Christian organizations in the in the in the area and so the whole idea of the church distributed is that the church is more a family of families and a network of networks. Um and anytime you get um, a a mega church that is supposed to have all the answers um, then you're pretty soon going to be dependent on your your programs which become quickly a menu and when you have a menu, you have cafeteria Christians. you know I go to the church for this um, and, and and so cafeteria Christians are consumer Christians and that's why we don't grow into the The kind of um, servants and mature Christians we need to be because we're going to get fed instead of learning how to minister in our own context and having some sort of connection to a church you know that can pray for us and 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 be a part of our our everyday relationships we we start to think of church as a as a building or a or a place where they have programs or 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 a worship experience, and and so that's where we get into trouble.
0: How does that work at a church the size of Northland? I know you also have a lot of home groups and house churches and stuff. How does yeah. that play itself out so people can feel well, apart and get fed and feel apart part yeah. something?
1: I'm just I'm I'm learning that ultimately a, a megachurch isn't the best venue for the multiplication of micro churches. That's that's kind of what we're doing right now. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I'm transitioning from uh, Northland uh, because I think that in order to have a, a structure that really uh, multiplies churches that are smaller, but they're they're part of your everyday relationships, um, there's a structure that needs to get outside of the command and control structure of most megachurches. Um, and so... What we've done for the last 20 years is that we have used the resources of the megachurch to multiply um, churches in in our area and in other countries. Now, now let me tell you the difference here. Um, in in this country, um, in our area, we have, we've multiplied probably well maybe 75. Uh, micro churches. What's a um, micro church? I'm sorry, I'm trying to. A bi- micro church is a church of um, anywhere from ten to fifty people that meets in somebody's home. It's it's a model of the original um, um, first century church, mm-hmm. um, and and they care for one another. They do missions together. They live life together, um, and 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 then they still have connection to. A larger church, but but ultimately their real church is born out of their relationships. And when they bring others into that group, pretty soon it'll get to a size where they can't they can't um, do that all together because nobody's got a big enough house. And so people will say, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to go over here and I'm, I'm going to plant another uh, micro church or dis we call them distributed churches so it's just a it's a replicating model of making your relationships the church um and 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 so that's that's kind of what we've learned but the the key is in our culture where we've learned to associate the church with buildings and sound systems and staff and big budgets um there's only a limited number of churches that will that will be that will that can come out of a out of a traditional church, in one year in Uganda, we planted four thousand churches because they don't they don't see the church as a building mm-hmm. or a staff or a even a even a sound system. You know, they they meet under trees and they meet in tents and they meet you know um, in their in their villages on a stump and and so and so the simpler you get with how you organize your church. Uh, the better care you have for one another, and the more and the more rapidly it multiplies.
0: Well, so who would lead a micro church? Is it something like in this country? Would you use like video, or would you just have a leader there, or how would that work?
1: You could use video certainly, um, but but basically you you could produce a um, uh, materials uh, that are a very simple Bible study, um, and it's basically a discussion on a uh, on a passage. And then usually it's breaking bread together, just like the the ancient church, you know, the first century church. You eat together, and your kids play, and 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 or 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 the kids sit in on the lesson, um, and 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 then you talk about how this applies to your life, and and if if somebody says, you know, hey, my car's not working, you know, somebody else will say, well, I know somebody can fix it, you know, and so so it's a very practical non-sophisticated, very, uh, you know, you don't need to be seminary trained. As a matter of fact, you probably shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just somebody who loves God and and wants to read Scripture with others and, and do what it says. Just real generic stuff.
0: And it's kind of it's interesting because you, you sound like you grew up in the small churches, too. That, that, that's the one thing. While they missed a lot on, on the on the grace end and some of the other ends, those little small churches that, that in the fifties and sixties did rally around people when they were hurting or had problems or stuff. They were yeah, and absolutely. stuff. absolutely. And that absolutely it was a right. sense of community, even with all the other. Now there was certainly some unhealthy baggage in addition to that, but the community part they kind of got down. But then they jettisoned the community to bring the other stuff in.
1: Yep, exactly. Yep.
0: What What mistakes have y'all learned from though when y'all were doing all that? Because sounds like y'all, this has been a work in progress. It sounds like
1: me. <clears throat> yeah it has been and i think i think the mistakes are the typical mistakes that you you mentioned greg that is um you you your metrics go um conventional uh you decide how you're doing as a church by counting nickels and noses um and that becomes your measurement about uh, how successful you are rather than um are we really changing lives and our, our marriages being healed and and am I personally um, 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 being matured in Christ to an extent where I can walk with somebody through their troubles um, and and serve them without promoting my own agenda? Um, so so a lot of the organized churches, like I said, is wonderful, and we've we've had programs here where we deal with families that families with special needs, for example. The disability community in many of our many of our cities is largely invisible because people are embarrassed and they don't want to they don't want to bring their their people to church because they're afraid they'll be disruptive and so on and so forth. We've got a spectacular ministry here. that Says we want your folks. You know, we'll 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 incorporate them into our community and so on and so forth. Well, that's something that that an organized church can do. That maybe sometimes. Um, um a smaller church would would have a little bit more trouble doing um at least to scale um and you know youth groups and and children's sunday school curriculums and so forth. So those things are those things are wonderful but the trade offs are that relieves the the parents then of taking spiritual responsibility um that that relieves um me as a christian uh of really ministering to somebody in need because i can tell them to call my church because those people really know what they're doing you know mm. um so so there's a there's significant trade-offs like that
0: yeah uh, it's uh the idea of, of service and not being professional because for so long it it was the and you and i both grew up in the era that the the paid professional ministers were yeah. the ones that were elevated and i think yeah. it was uh Steve Brown down in Florida down at Key Life said one time it's better to be good for nothing than to get paid for yeah, being good. Yeah, so, exactly.
1: Exactly right. Um,
0: it, it, we're in a world, though, and I know you see this because you, you, you're in a place particularly of, of massive growth where the generations coming up don't see faith in a negative in particular. They just sort of see it as irrelevant. Yeah. And But they are looking for community because you can see all the crazy places they're searching for community in that, that because, through you the you know, trends and stuff. Um, what can this church distributed do to reach these people who just say, you know, I'm not mad at you. What's good for you guys, but it's just this doesn't have any meaning.
1: Well, that's exactly that's exactly the the future of the church. Uh, I believe it's in the distributed form of the church because this generation that's coming up uh, cares nothing for institutions. Um they they've got no loyalty, they got no inclination to go to some church building and fit in with a program or you know, be judged by people who don't understand, you know, what they're what they're about. Um but what they do want, um, they still want a relationship with God and they still want a relationship with people who care about them, um and genuinely care about them. Well that is the church. And so if you can take the, the, the church form and put it into something where, you know, you really live in life together, um, then, then the church will go on just in a different form. And it would be much more gen, genuine to this coming generation than anything they see in the organized church right now.
0: Yeah, and I think the exclusivity of of uh, we have we have the market cornered on faith, and I think that's one of the things that struck me, and one of the reasons I reached out and really wanted to talk to you is uh, some of the accolades you've received from both the Muslim community and Jewish communities down around where you live puts you in pretty rare territory among evangelicals. And I, I, was, I was watching just as getting ready for this interview. I watched a, a little short clip on YouTube of you talking about sitting next to Muhammad Ali and sort of paying tribute to him. And, and to be honest with you, I was pretty amazed to hear that kind of grace and extension to, from an evangelical pastor. How did you get to this approach in ministry that opens up to acknowledge there's good wherever you find it, no matter their faith tradition and, and why it's worth working together for that good?
1: Well, remember what my mama planted in me. You know, I've always had a heart for people who were different than than I am. Um, and then I, you know, you take a look at Jesus, and man, the only people that ever criticized Jesus were the the institutional religious people. Um, and 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 he always got in trouble um, for hanging out with people he shouldn't hang out with. And 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 so I I would I would say to your listeners. Um, yeah, you can do this, but you will get in trouble um i in the last six months and and my and and part of this is one of the reasons I'm transitioning into community ministry instead of the institutional church ministry um um in the last six months we've had we've had open discussions here i mean bringing, bringing people in uh on racism, not if there's racism, but our racism. Uh, on the death penalty, on gun violence, and this, and the, and the last straw was when we had eight hundred people from the LGBTQ community um, in this church talking about um, how can we actually love one another and respect one another, no matter what our particular theology is. And that makes people in the church a nervous wreck, especially the elders. Um, and these are good people. I'm not, I'm not trying to cast aspersions here. It's just nothing that the established church is used to, um, and so, and so it's it's it it has been something I've I've loved to do. My favorite thing is to get two people talking who ordinarily wouldn't have anything to do with one another. That's my, that's my very favorite thing um, because you know. Christ has given us this ministry of reconciliation. Um, but it, it carries with it a lot of risk uh, and a lot of accusations. Somebody told me, I love this, um, and, and I've kind of extended it, you know, if you're one step ahead, you're a leader. If you're two steps ahead, you're a pioneer. If you're three steps ahead, you're a target. And and I've added to that, if you're four steps ahead, you're a traitor. And so, and so to those... <laughs> yeah, you're exactly you're a heretic, and so to those leaders who are listening to this, um, try to stay one step ahead, um, um, or maybe two if you've got a really good relationship with your people uh, and with your elders, with your with your authority uh, in your church. Uh, but if you get three steps ahead, you better better watch out.
0: Well, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. There are no metrics in and, and linear measurements for dealing with the least of these. Most um, 25% of addicts probably make it. The other 75% don't. But Jesus didn't reject people who were partiers. Um, You know, like it does make people, white Christians get very nervous. And they they don't mind listening to Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream speech, but they don't want to hear what Julian Bond said. He said, That speech was for white people. That wasn't for black people. We already knew all that. That's right. right. Like you mentioned, disabilities, uh, physical Mm -hmm. or mental, and their families on top of that. Yeah, and then another issue that you've been involved in that um, you've you've suggested that, and, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, correct me that pro life should not be defined as simply as anti abortion. That there's a whole lot more to it than that.
1: Oh my goodness, that's for sure. You know the Catholics really are good leaders on this. They've got they've got some great, they've got some great uh, theological and uh, and uh, practical uh, ways that they deal with pro life being a whole life issue. Um, a lot of evangelicals just care about the first nine months of life, and then then you're on your own. Um, but when it comes to um, um, things like um, pollution um, that can cause the death, or or climate change that can cause the death of the vulnerable, uh, or when it comes to things like uh, racism and violence and 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 AK forty sevens being everywhere and all of that kind of stuff. Then all of a sudden, you know, it's my rights and 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 uh, you know, we we you know we don't we don't care about you know those folks are on their own. So especially so, the poor,
0: the poor who have no yeah. political political action committees and no way to buy votes. Um, exactly. They get exactly. blamed for being poor, and I know you exactly. know people like this, but I know people that. Have you know work very low wage jobs hard as they can, and they come home and turn on the television, and they're told that they're bums and living off the government and stuff, and it, it just the frustration level just increases every moment.
1: That's for sure. That is for sure. So I, you know, again, following the the uh, you know the uh, the model of Jesus, um, he's he's the one that had this special place in his heart for those that had been left out and marginalized and disregarded um and so we just really need to follow that because he was <laughs> he was pro life as to as in I, you know I came that they might have life and have it abundantly and uh and and he wasn't talking about the first 9 months uh of life he was talking about all your life
0: it's interesting that the the I came for the those who needed a physician is overlooked it's Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't need a good physician if you're well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Of course, the honesty kicks in there. How well are we? That's another story. From <laughs> but uh, who have been some of the greatest influences on your message and ministry? writers, speakers, friends—who've who big big influences on your life?
1: Well, of course, my wife. She's my very best friend, and uh, and I love this woman for. We've been married for forty-five years, and and she's. She's just huge in my life, partly because she's wired completely different than I am. You know, I've, I told you I'm a visionary, so I'm tied to reality by a kite string. And you know? I'll I'll come home, and I'll say, boy, I've got this vision. We're going to change the world. And she'll look at me, and she'll say, that's so good. I'm in. Now, what would be our first step? And I'll and I'll, I'll rock back. I'll say, steps? There are steps? You know, because in me, in my mind, it's already accomplished. But, so she's very concrete, very practical um and so she's been a huge influence in my life um, um there've been people of course Martin Luther King Jr um was was my model growing you know starting out um there've been certain preachers um J Wallace Hamilton not, not many people know that name anymore but he was an old methodist preacher that just just was a master uh storyteller um and and preacher um, loved listening to him, um, and there have been others, uh, you know, on, uh, like my other partners that I have in ministry. But a lot of folks, um, I get my main um, inspiration from people who aren't famous. Um, I mean, I used to I used to be astounded when I was uh, when I was an old Methodist minister um, because I, I I I went I had, I had a pretty nice churches, you know, or growing churches. And I would go to these little country churches, you know, and I'd see these guys that got, they were dirt poor, paid nothing. Their, their congregation were always trying to take them down. Um, And, and I kept thinking, why in the world are they doing this? It's just because they were trying to follow Jesus. And I grew, I grew such admiration for these guys and I thought, if those guys can work under those circumstances, who am I to gripe about the little few problems i got so so a lot of those guys were kind of my my um, spiritual inspiration
0: so um, that, that's interesting because it, it reminds me of and I'm just it left me, but one of the church fathers had written a parable that uh The uh, Jesus comes back to heaven and he's telling everybody what happened, and they said, "Well, you know, you had like eleven people, and they all ran away when they crucified you. (laughs) What's the next plan?" He goes, "I have no other plan." You know? Yeah, yeah. But uh, evangelicalism seems to have this incredibly strong attachment to hell. It's it's a central part of the message in most of the nation's largest churches. Uh, Why do you think that is? And do you believe in a literal hell?
1: Well, I do. Probably not like. Everybody else believes in it. I'm, I'm kind of a C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I I absolutely believe that people absent themselves from God. Um, uh, I do believe in more of a, an inclusive atonement than an exclusive atonement. Uh, but but the reason that um, evangelicalism seems to be more exclusive and more black and white. Um, is because it gives them the it gives us I'm I'm one of them um, it gives it gives us the intensity we need uh, to really make a difference. Um, uh, you know I, I can remember asking a bishop one time when I was growing up when I had a bishop um, I said how can you stay intensive and inclusive at the same time. Because that's what Jesus did. I mean, he was absolutely intensive, passionate, nothing could get it, but he was the most inclusive guy. And usually when you put that in a church or you put that in uh, a person, the more inclusive you are, the more it's all kumbaya, you know, everything's okay, um, it doesn't matter. And the more intensive you are, the less compassionate and empathetic uh, you tend to be. So So somewhere there's a there's a combination there that Jesus had that we need to we need to find.
0: Yeah, because the question, and it's an obvious one, and I've had people ask me this directly, uh, and I mentioned again, particularly in light of folks who are in recovery and doing things, uh, I have accepted Jesus and I'm not going to hell, but I've got a court date and I'm in all kinds of trouble. Why don't I just kill myself now and go into heaven if that's what it's all about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It becomes an Indian. Yeah,
1: I— yeah, I, I, I can't. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I say to them, as long as you're still alive, God's got a plan for your life, has a mission for your life. Um, at the same time, I believe that people who commit suicide um, are, are m- most of the time, they have run out of options, they're in despair, um, and they're they're not. Um, they're not in their right mind, um, and and they're just exhausted. And so um, I just I just can't go to the place where um, where some people go and say, well, if you commit suicide, you're automatically going to hell. Just can't go there.
0: Well, I, I don't see that as anything biblical at all. And the other thing is, people don't. Again, we, we're going back to what we talked about earlier. Um, trying to superimpose our experience on other people's tragedies yeah. and. Struggles and that, I don't. I just that's above my pay grade. The older I get, yeah. the more I realize how many things are above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Right.
1: That is for sure.
0: Well, a biblical scholar, Peter Ends, who wrote uh, Inspiration, Incarnation, a number of other books, Sin of Certainty, I think, is his most recent one, said that he started taking the Bible more seriously when he stopped taking it literally.
1: Yeah. Uh, how do you yeah. approach Scripture? Well, I, I know Peter, and and uh, we 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 are both in, uh, involved with Biologos, and and um, he's a first rate intellect. Um, I, I I absolutely agree with him. Uh, I the more I study scripture, and I, I study scripture, it's my favorite thing to do. I've I've been my own variety of biblical scholar for, for almost fifty years now, and I and I love to do the uh, you know original language, the original context, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but the more I learn, the more I realize how limited my understanding is. And the humbler I am when it comes to um, the definitive interpretation of any particular scripture. Um, so, um, so I, I, I don't—I certainly don't take it literally. If you know all of the varieties, the genres of literature in scripture, uh, you know that to understand scripture is to um, to not take it literally. Um, um, but, but I do. Uh, understand that there are um, truths that God wants us to have, and it's not mere metaphor. It is history. Um, it it does, ha- it does It does. It is a record of human experience. Um, and so, when I take a look at Scripture, um, first of all, I, I believe that I need the help of the Holy Spirit to interpret it for me that day, in my context. Um and and secondly, I'm I'm less likely than ever to make a pronouncement for everybody else, uh, but more likely um uh, to say to folks, hey, why don't we why don't we think of it like this? Um and why don't we try to apply it uh, as it as it befits our present circumstances? I was just on a prayer retreat and, and and one of the things I feel like I heard from the Lord is you need to go from Here's my best interpretation of what what the bible says to here's my best imitation of how jesus lived, and so that's that's the my goal of life It's not to come up with the the premier uh interpretation is to come up with my my best imitation of Jesus How long did it take you to get to this place <laughs> Fifty years say <laughs> <laughs> so I'm
0: guessing if you're like me, there was a time when we were 30 or 35 that we thought we had oh. the scripture pretty much figured oh, out. Oh, absolutely. And we're I just glad to I, tell know, anybody about it.
1: <laughs> My mantra was, I'm surrounded by morons. Why can't people see this?
0: <laughs> I remember meeting, this was years ago, uh, talking to a, a rabbi, and we were talking about the Old Testament, and he was saying, Have you read Kings and Chronicles and Samuel all together to see what you're talking about here? That makes no sense the way you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but, um, it, do you have other spiritual disciplines you practice regularly?
1: Um, well, I I fast periodically, um, and that's just because appetite appetite's one of my temptations. And so, and and I've got I, I grew up in a family of alcoholics, um, and so I, I I never drink because I know I could go there really quickly. But I also know that I I, I tend because of that background to have a problem with with appeasement of appetite. And so to, you know, in Paul's words, I, I buffet my body, not buffet, but buffet my body. Um, and so there's a, I, I keep in good shape physically uh, because I need that emotionally. And so to me, that's a spiritual discipline. I take care of the temple um, and I pray and read scripture. Uh, but my main spiritual discipline, is to continue to learn how to love people. The greatest discipline, if God is love, that's the greatest spiritual discipline you can exercise. Um, and so that's that's what I work on every day.
0: Well, some of the things we've been talking about that have become integral parts of your ministry are political decisions have enormous consequences on a lot of these things um, that we've talked about as priorities. And they are dependent to some degree on cooperation from the government and, of course, If people who have done any, uh, you know, just Googled your name, would would realize you were uh, one of President Barack Obama's spiritual advisors. Um, If our current president asked you for spiritual advice, where would you start?
1: (sighs) You're killing me here, Greg. You're you're killing me. Uh, I would just start with prayer um, because... The the scriptures right when it just uh, admonishes us to humble ourselves before the Lord. Um, I'm I've I've never been good with advice. My my um, my main um, relationship with with uh, President Obama was to um, share scripture with him every week, um, um, a couple of times a week in the form of written devotions uh, to pray with him. Um, but I never tried to advise him on, um, on political matters. Um, I, I, you know, I tried to be with him in, in, in matters of faith and family. Um, and so I, in any, in, with any president, um, my, my goal is not to push an agenda, uh, or to promote, uh, my own group or my own cause, uh, it's just to say to them, how can I go to God with you? Um, and let's just put ourselves before God um, and and ask for his guidance.
0: If somebody's listening to this podcast and they're sort of in the midst of that deconstruction or questioning whether or not you know, the whole faith has anything to offer, question, what would you
1: tell them? It's got everything to offer. Um, you know, we were... We were made in the image of God. That means to, that means basically, we were made to be capable of responding to a God who loves us. Um, and so, if you can, if you can get past what you think of as a religion, and you can enter into a daily relationship where you just share with God what's on your heart um, and open yourself to this this one in which we see God best, you know, this Jesus uh, and and the kind of life he lived, your whole life will change. Um, um, and and you will see what, what serving others. Uh, somebody once said, um, and I'm trying to remember who this was. I got it right on the tip of my tongue here. Um, Bible professor... Uh, Old Testament. Uh, I can't come up with it. But anyhow, he said, righteousness is disadvantages, disadvantaging oneself for the sake of others. That we spend so much of our time trying to carve out our own power and our, our advantage. And if we can let go and just walk with God, knowing that God will give us what we need, um, to seek first the kingdom of God, and all the rest of the stuff is added to you, um, and and live a life of love and service. Boy, your whole life will change. So I think faith has everything to do with it. Because without faith, you're right back into the rat race, and you're trying to, trying to get everybody to do what you want to do, and and get advantage. And and it, there's never satisfaction or fulfillment in that.
0: What two questions here? What will you miss most about being pastor, at North Senior Pastor at Northland, and, and how much more are you going to be preaching?
1: Um, I will. Um, I will miss um, being with people every week. Um, I, I love this congregation. I love these people, and we've been through a lot together. We've been through their <laughs> sorry, we've been through their tragedies and through my tragedies, and we've gone through a lot together, and uh, I'll miss them. Um. And uh, but I, I but I'll still be teaching every week in the middle of the week, as I said, in, in a non-religious setting in a civic center near near here, and I'll, and I'll be taking up a collection. I don't need a salary anymore because I got enough money. I can you know when you're old, you can live off Social Security. Yeah, we've always lived very modestly. Uh, bless my wife, and so we got plenty of money coming in from Social Security and a little pension. And um, so now I can just go out and give my life to the poor, uh, but I'll be teaching every week um, and um, helping people follow Jesus outside a religious institution.
0: Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that next phase of your ministry. That that midweek uh, Bible teaching outside the church. What else are you going to be doing as as your new ministry, next
1: phase of ministry here? Well, it's uh, I am the uh, the chairman of the Central Florida Commission on Homelessness here, which involves all of the the city and county governments and and the large corporations you know the disney's and the and the you know the um magic and and uh florida hospital and so on and so forth all of us as a re- as a region um are 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 addressing homelessness in our in our area in the in this in this tri-county area uh, but what what all of us realize is that we will never be successful at this without the full engagement of the faith community um, because, because you can throw all kinds of money at this stuff um, and, and, it, and, it, and it only relieves some of the symptoms until you have personal support and engagement with families to walk through this situation. Um, you, you, you're not going to get people back on their feet. You know, uh, Leo Tol- Tolstoy in Anna Karenina starts out with this. Every happy family is alike, but every unhappy family is a, is, is, is unhappy in its own way. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, until you can go to these disadvantaged families and you can say, "I'm gonna wa- I'm gonna put somebody with you to walk through this with you," um, we will never be specific enough to help them long term. So the faith family or the, the faith communities are really going to be especially helpful with families and children. Um, and that's where we can fill the gaps. And so that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be, we've, we've formed a community resource network. That's what we're calling it. And we're engaging all of the faith communities to inventory what they can do. Um, even if it's service, you know, if somebody's car breaks down, you know, we can go online and, and we've got four mechanics that say, Hey, if a lady needs me to fix her, her car so she can get to work, I'll be glad to do that or babysit or, Transportation, or you know what, what whatever people can do, um, or I've got a, I've got an apartment, you know, and I can, I can house a family, um, and um, so, so that's what we're going to be doing directly with uh, the homeless and the marginalized of our area.
0: And it sounds kind of like you've been headed in this direction a long time.
1: I have been. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. This is how I got called into the ministry, and this is how I'm finishing up my ministry.
0: Do you have anything else in the works, new book, anything people can look for?
1: Well, I'm, I, I, I'm not far enough in this last leg to, to guarantee anything, but I'm learning some stuff here um, after 50 years that may be of some value at some point down the line. And, and, um, and so I'm, I might write something, but uh, nothing right now.
0: Well, these last two questions I ask all my guests on the podcast. The first one is, "Who is Jesus?" Ah,
1: Jesus is um, Jesus is the personification of God. He is not only um, the uh, third person of the Trinity, but he is the model for the least of all to live and learn how to love, and so that's who he is to me
0: and the last question, what's the last thing that you can remember that made you laugh so hard you could hardly catch your breath
1: <laughs> uh, that's that's a real i we laugh a lot every day, and so usually it's not a joke it's 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 somebody just goofing off and we get each other stirred up. Um, and one of the things I love about the the staff that that we we assembled over the years and this new staff is that you know you're not having a successful staff meeting unless you're all laughing so hard you're spitting some up. <laughs> um, and so, but I can't I can't recall I can't recall what it was that made me laugh. But I I've, I've laughed a lot so far today. Uh, it's just how I live. Well, Dr.
0: Joel Hunter, I have enjoyed talking to you today. This has been a real a real blast. I've enjoyed it a lot, and I appreciate well, you thanks. taking time to, to, out of your busy schedules to give me a chat.
1: I am so glad to help, and God bless you and your ministry.
0: Thank you, man. It's always good to talk to someone who's been a frontline pastor for a long time and who's seen the, the success in terms of uh, numbers. As we talked about, that was not really a good measurement of success, and that the idea of micro churches and other things also dr hunter's commitment to continually um, speak up for the those who don't have a voice and the fact that he is at 69 stepping down to from the uh, pastoral role at a big church to take on a larger ministry in the community to spirit spread um, spiritual hope and to be an advocate of any of the groups that are doing anything good there in central florida so we need more like him and enjoyed talking to him today. And that's it for this week's Thinking God podcast. Join me next time when my guest will be Ashley Cleveland, who, if you're familiar with your you familiar with her work, you'll be excited to hear God her God talk you? about music and recovery and other things. Until then, get out and do something to make the world a better place.